Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. Listen, uh, let me start off by just welcoming anybody who's new. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Kesset. This is not our normal location. We are, we are currently at Clark College, so every once in a while, uh, due to being the setup and teardown church, we've got to find other, other uh, venues, and this place has just been amazing to welcome us. So can we just give a hand to all, anybody from... <laughs> I will say, uh, our, 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 our church isn't used to being in a church, and so... Uh, it's kind of funny to watch you guys walk in because it's like, oh, we're, we're like in a real church today. And uh, during worship, I watched somebody's Copenhagen just sort of roll down the, down the aisle. And I realized these aren't two friendly floors. So, so I, I, love that we get to, uh, I love that we get to be here and, uh, <laughs> and just worship God. And uh, I love that we're, we're part of the greater kingdom, the greater movement. And uh, it's just, it's what it's all about. So uh, today is uh, kind of different. Today's a one-off. Next week is Mother's Day, and then we launch into our end of the school year, spring into summer series after that. And so uh, I'm going to talk about something that, that I've been kind of, um, um, I don't know if wrestling with is the right word, but been sort of processing. And that's this idea around uh, seeing God's beauty in everything in spite of or despite of my circumstances. And I think this is just a, a great opportunity to do that because uh, we're not in our home. We're not uh, where we thought we'd be right now. We're not, I mean, all those things are fairly obvious about our Kessid story. And yet we're seeing tons of beautiful things happen. And so today I want to talk to you about what it means to, to see God's beauty in anything that you're dealing with, anything you're walking through, and how I believe that impacts your heart for the better, for the kingdom, and for his glory. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to jump in, and I think, uh, I think God's going to do something special with it. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you that you have such an amazing way of teaching us and leading us and guiding us and just, just re- revealing who you are. I am, I am so grateful for this place. I am so grateful for this community that you're building, that you're the focus of. And I, I, I God, I just, uh, I just rest in the fact that you have all the control. We are blessed beyond uh, our deserving, and, and God, you get all the glory for that. And so we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to base today off of one simple passage, and the passage comes from uh, David before he's king, and he's wrestling through some really difficult stuff. He's in difficult circumstances. He's running from someone trying to hurt him. He's, his reputation's on the line. He's, he's not where he thought he would be, when he thought he would be. He's supposed to be the anointed king, but instead he's, he's hiding out, more of, a, more of a, a thief kind of lifestyle, and he's just He's just lost, and so he begins to share all these things that he desires, and he shares how God is his provider, and how God is the one who blesses, and how God is the one who controls, and then he says these words in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and then he says this phrase, to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I, I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, phraseology. That, that, that's an interesting thing to say that what you want more than anything isn't 
stability, isn't peace, isn't comfort, isn't ease. What you want more than anything is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and then to inquire in his temple. But before you inquire, before you ask or even relate, you first gaze upon that of which you are about to have relationship with. You, you gaze upon it, and David describes it as beauty of the Lord. Have you ever considered the beauty of the Lord an attribute of God, not just something he does? An actual attribute of who he is, that if you have relationship with God, you are supposed to engage with his beauty. It's, it's kind of an interesting thought. It's, it's kind of been messing me up a little bit as I've thought about it this week. That, that I, I think I engage in the things God creates that are beautiful. I engage in my, my children and, and my wife and, and the church community and the sunsets and the sunrises and all those kinds of things. But I don't know if I technically, if I'm being honest, engage in God's beauty. His actual beauty as, as David's talking about here. And so I decided to, to just kind of dive into that. And this is what I found. First off, I want to recognize it's difficult because for many of us, beauty is a very subjective concept. And divine beauty, for us, is really a very abstract concept because it all comes from different perspectives. And yet, and I'll show you some images, aesthetically, we are all moved by beautiful things. We are drawn in. Beautiful music, beautiful paintings, a beautiful image. We all respond to beauty instinctually. It's something within us, woven into who we are, that causes us to experience it. So when David says, I want to draw myself into God's temple and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, he's really saying what he knows to be true that maybe we've forgotten. And he's saying, I want to be drawn in by the beauty of God. I want to experience him, not just know him, not just proclaim him. I want to instinctively respond to him. And that's, that, that's a profound thought. And that's something that I'm not sure I'm very good at. Let me give you a definition of beauty, a very old definition of beauty. A lot of philosophy papers have been written around this definition. It comes from an early classical and medieval period. I think it's a uh, beautiful definition of beauty. And this is it. Beauty is an intrinsic quality of things which, when it's perceived, pleases the mind by a certain kind of fittingness beauty is something that fits it it just works it just connects if you're a if you're a a painter uh you would probably understand this better than than i because i'm not or, or someone who loves art and you go to the art museum and you you see the paintings on the wall and you're like oh that that just works they just those things fit together i'm a car guy and i like a certain era of cars above all others and those are late uh, 60s, early 70s Mopar, right? They're, they're really big cars with really big sounds and really big engines and really bright colors. And for me, for some reason, they just, they just fit. There's just something there when you see it, you're like, ooh, ooh. I don't know why, but I'll see other cars, other cars people find beautiful, and I'm like, meh. But this is the idea. Beauty is something that just fits. It just, it just works. And so this definition of beauty is something that, that many scholars have said is one of the most perfect definitions. And like all things that are good and all things that are true, it finds its origin within the Bible. Fittingness is this idea of habitability, suitability for living. It is this idea of quality of state and eligibility. 
It's, it's all these complicated words that I think break down even better when we look at the beginning of Scripture because you can see it clearly here in this simple phrase at the very beginning of God's word, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you take the verse at face value, you'll just go, yeah, it's, it's a statement, but it's much, much more than that if you really were to unpack it. First off, the phrase heaven and earth, it describes everything that is. It says, in the beginning, God created everything that is. In the Greek, this word is cosmos. It's God created everything that is and ever has been. He created the cosmos. But the cosmos has more meaning than we allow it to today, and certainly more meaning than we allow just heaven and earth today. The cosmos, I'll put it up there, the cosmos is the sum total of everything, and it implies an ordered arrangement of all those things. In essence... It's everything fitting together with everything. So in the Bible, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, what it's proclaiming is that God created the cosmos, which is what it's stating underneath is that God fits everything together, and therefore, it's beautiful because it's fitting. It's a combination of both orderliness and adornment. It's perfect. In this way, beauty is embedded within the world, the cosmos, Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world, the God who made everything and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Why? Because God does not fit in our temples. He fits inside everything. That's where he fits. And so when you look at the cosmos and the way it fits together and the idea that beauty is the fittingness of everything together in perfect harmony and rhythm, this is shalom. We talk about it here. This is what peace is. Peace is harmony. Peace is everything together with everything else. Then suddenly you're able to see the identity of God in the very creation that he creates. I know. I know. It takes a minute. But it's a worthwhile minute. To understand that God has displayed his own beauty within the story of our creation. Beauty is being spilled out at the beginning of the Bible. It is being displayed for all to see. Even afterwards, God takes a step back and he assesses what he's done. And I think we know what he says, but let's read it because it's church and that's what we're supposed to do. Genesis 1, 11 and 12 said, Then God said... Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so when the earth brought forth vegetation with plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. Now, he's not just proclaiming, hey, this is, this is good what I did. He's proclaiming something much deeper. And that's what I want to display to you today. This word good is the word tov. It's this, it's this Hebrew word tov. You may recognize it from the Jewish Yiddish saying mazel tov. Okay, it's this idea of good luck. God is proclaiming through tov or tov that everything is good or very good. The word represents an assessment of God's delight in creation. But the Hebrew word tov is not just something that's proper and good like we might think about it. There's a functional sense to it. There's, there's an ethical and aesthetic connotation as well. And you can see it even better when you look at the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated in Greek, which for years was one of the most common versions of God's word. 
in the Septuagint, they, re- they translate that word good, or the Hebrew word tov, to the word kalos. And kalos is a good, I'll put it up, that has this idea of being aesthetically beautiful, morally excellent, noble, organically sound, desirable, and praiseworthy. See, when God steps back and looks at the reflection of himself, do you know what he says about his own reflection? Yeah, this is good. He says this isn't just good like thumbs up good. This is praiseworthy. This is, this is right. This is uh, desirable. This is organically sound. This is excellent. This is noble. This fits together. This is beautiful. God has woven an expression of who he is into our creation. And so through both these words, this word tav and the word kalos, you have this wonderfully rich and thick theological picture of beauty being painted right from the very design of creation itself. And we're part of that. We're woven into that. So why is this so important? And how does this tie to how we see the world today? Thank you for asking. It's a great question. As you may or may not realize, the ultimate problem of every human being is not just that we are rebellious and bent away from God. It's really more that we are blind to God and his workings. In this way, our hearts cannot see as they should. John 9, 39, Jesus said, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. He's, of course, not talking about physical blindness being removed. He's talking about our heart's blindness. He's talking about our inability to see the beautiful things around us, and so, of course, see the God who made them. Our own stubbornness creates a haze, a blindness, causing us to stand before a sermon or a scripture or a song, even if we're good church-going people proclaiming God's goodness and yet really truly see nothing but darkness from our hearts. This is because we are not just in rebellion against the authority of God, we are heart blind to the beauty of God. Our hearts are blind to our own place within his beautiful creation. In other words, for most of us, we don't even see that we're supposed to fit. And so it becomes quite normal for us to live our lives not fitting. Finding ugliness all around us. Being distracted by trauma and drama. And all the other things the world say will bring us value and worth. And we miss the song we're supposed to sing because we can't hear the heavenlies proclaiming an invitation for us to be a part of the choir. This, this is what God is saying. He says to people who continue to build their lives this way, Revelation 2.4, but I have this against you. This is what God has against us. This is what God is calling us to break when he says remove the bondage. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. That you forgot about your heart and its desire to be a part. You have a heart of blindness and it has enveloped you. He says, I want to give you eyes to see. I want you to open the eyes of your heart with the opposite emphasis. Seeing is the very first thing that happens when Jesus causes a life to be reborn. We just talked about this verse. Well, that ever mentioning this part of it, Ephesians 1.18, it's talking about what it means to follow God, to be awakened. That's a word used all throughout scripture. It says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. 
the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then he lists all these beautiful things you're supposed to be living out and experiencing, listing that he's called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's called you to be part of the song. He's called you to be part of the story. And yet my heart blindness keeps me from seeing the beauty he's woven into the world. And so I don't feel part of the world. Instead, I want to conquer the world so that I can try to create my own sound over the sound God has already woven into it. And so I'm at odds with him. And things are off. And I feel... So often like I don't fit. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century theologian, said this about the heart's awakening. That it's one of the first things that happens when you come to Christ and yield your person. He says this, the first effect, the first effect of the power of God in the heart in regeneration, the awakening of the heart, is to give the heart, this is what the Holy Spirit does, a divine taste or sense to cause it to have a relish of the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. He says, when you awaken to God, you get a taste of what it means to be a part of his movement, a part of his kingdom, a part of, of his music. And you so therefore see the beauty all around you. And this changes everything. Because when you see the beauty that your story is, 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 is giving off, when you see how well you fit inside the, the creation uh, uh, analogy, when you see just what it means to, to stop trying to control and instead say, God, I just want to be a part of your music. I'm tired of making my own. Then suddenly you have eyes to see and so get to partake in the beautiful story of redemption that is slowly moving over our world, calling itself back to God who promises one day to make it all new again. There's a beautiful example of this. Jesus is busy with his ministry and his disciples are getting caught up in the business. And they know what they've got to do and they know where they've got to go so they think and it says that Jesus stops at someone's house, the house of Simon the leper. And it says in Matthew 26, 6 through 13, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him. She had in her hands an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And you, you can imagine this because the room would have went silent because that was like six months worth of wages in this woman's hands. You could do a lot of church work with that. She comes up and everybody's still. And she opens the cork and she pours it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Because <laughs> that's what people who control things think. What a waste. This could have been sold for a large sum of money. Not for us, maybe, given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, says to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done, look at the word, a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring out this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed for generations and generations, all the way till today and the proclamation of it in the world, in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Do you see what Jesus is proclaiming about this woman by saying what she did was beautiful? Are you, did you miss it? Because what he's saying to them about her is that she sees me. Her heart is not blind. Her heart is not missing what I'm here for. Her heart is not, is not covered in the haze of, of busyness and, and trying to accomplish. Her heart is not, is, is not distracted by the worry of what's going to happen tomorrow or even later this afternoon. She sees me. She feels her place within me and what she's done. And he uses the word, and it's absolutely unbelievable, is beautiful. The word that Jesus uses is the Greek word kalos, which has the rich, aesthetic definition of its meaning. For he is proclaiming that her act is morally excellent, noble, organically sound, desirable, and praiseworthy. He is proclaiming that she sees me who is beautiful, and so in return, what she's done is beautiful. She's participating in the story of Christ. She is, she is fully a part in shalom with him right where she's supposed to be. And so she is acting beautiful. If we want to be the church that reaches into this lost world of often ugliness, this world full of people that don't fit, I wonder what kinds of acts should stand out higher than any other. Jesus says this woman's act will be remembered for all time. Do you think maybe that's code for, hey guys, beautiful is a part of the answer. If you can love people who don't fit in a beautiful way, you can teach them what fitting feels like. It's not all about standing downtown with a microphone telling people they're going to hell unless they repent. Sometimes it's loving unlovable people. Sometimes it's, it's doing something beautiful for someone that's living an ugly lifestyle. Sometimes it's not caring about what you get in return. It's instead about being willing to pour out what you have in your life, what matters to you, what's valuable to you, not into a church or into a situation or into a good thing, but into and on the feet and hands and head of Jesus, for he is the one who proclaims it beautiful, and he is the one who proclaims it to the world, and he is the one that gets all the glory because he is the one that makes sure it happens the right way. I know in this whole building season that we're in, there's been a whole bunch of people that have given a whole bunch of time. I mean, it is crazy how much time. Hundreds of hours have been given by some individuals. And some people have given so much money. And others are praying and praying and praying. And you know what's so amazing about all those things? Is that those are things poured out for God that God only knows. And that God uses to proclaim what you've done and what you're doing beautiful in order to reach the world in a beautiful way. To invite them in to a God who knows their story. He knows their sound. He knows where they, where, they, where they need to tweak and how they need to bend. And what needs to have healing accomplished so that they can fit inside his symphony, his story. And live the best life that they can live. 
This is what we're building. This is what we're doing. It's God who's teaching all of us that all of us born-again Christians, all of us in this room with awakened and enlightened eyes and hearts, filled with what the Bible calls as understanding, we are supposed to look upon this created world and beyond to our Creator and proclaim with our lives and our resources and our stories, my God, you are beautiful. This is what Kesed is about. This is all that matters, is that we live our lives as the scrappy church that loses buildings and comes back and sets up and has chew rolling down the aisles. <laughs> because it's just beautiful. I know it is. I can feel it. And so can you. And so for those of you who've never felt like you belong in a church, I'm just here to tell you you're wrong. We love you. We'll take you. Because God is doing some really neat stuff with us. But it's not any one leader or any one personality or any one thing. It simply is that a bunch of people decided to put themselves second, to put him first. And that is how we fit in creation. My very last verse, simple. Psalm 50, verse 2, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful, God, that uh, we can be reminded today that you are the place we find ourselves. That you alone are the reason, that you alone are the resource, that you alone are what defines us. You lead us. You humble us and you remind us that, Lord, if we can be part of what it is that you've created with your identity woven in, then, God, we can live beautiful lives reflecting our beautiful God. You are so praiseworthy, Lord. You are so epic. We are so grateful and thankful for the way that you guide us, the way that you disciplined us, God, may you be our focus. May you be everything we reflect on. And may you be who we sing about. In Jesus' precious name.